In an age before newspapers, popular rumour had an especial role to play. As stories of what was happening began to spread, the bells became silenced and the bugles stilled, until even the prisoners in the Tower of London were aware of the crisis. The councillors of state were by now gathered at Richmond Palace in Surrey. It was understood that they would remain until that event so much dreaded by Cecil had actually taken place. The old Queen's spirits further lapsed into an extraordinary depression which nothing seemed able to shake. For a while she refused to go to bed, lying upon cushions without eating, as though nature could somehow be defeated by a strong will. Robert Carey, a privileged courtier, was received by a Queen sitting low upon her cushions. When he told her that he was delighted to see her well, the Queen took his hand and wrung it hard. "'No, Robin, I am not well,' she said, and talked to him about her sad and heavy heart, with more than forty or fifty heavy sighs. Carey had only once known the Queen like this, and that was after the beheading of Mary, Queen of Scots. It was an ominous precedent. Finally, Lord Nottingham, widower of the Queen's old friend the Countess, managed to get her to bed. What by fair means, what by force?' It was time for men to turn their eyes towards the rising sun. To Robert Cecil and his fellow members of the council surrounding the dying queen, that son was now represented by a man whose great-grandmother had been a Tudor princess, King James of Scotland. An extraordinary amount of traffic now sprang up between the English and the Scottish courts, as the successful Elizabethan courtiers sought to devise methods of becoming successful Jacobean ones. The most practical measure was that taken by Robert Carey. Sending word to Edinburgh to expect him without delay once the Queen was dead, he arranged to have fast horses posted all along the high road to Scotland. Carey intended to be the one who would break the news of his accession to the Scottish King. By Wednesday morning, the 23rd of March, The Queen was speechless and could communicate with her council only by signs. At some point she was to have indicated that James of Scotland should be her successor by putting her hand up to her head at the mention of his name. The story, spread afterwards, was a convenient one to overcome the inconvenient fact that Elizabeth had maintained her obstinate silence on the subject of the succession. Under the circumstances, the council was taking no chances. Extraordinary precautions were being taken to ensure a smooth succession. For example, the council ordered that the wayward Lady Arbella Stuart, Elizabeth's cousin, one possible contender for the throne, should be brought south from Hardwick in Derbyshire. There, far from London, papists might have kidnapped her and used her as a focus for some kind of coup, since she was believed to have Catholic sympathies. Elsewhere, the principal papists were detained as the Queen's sickness worsened. The end for Queen Elizabeth came in the early hours of Thursday the 24th of March. At the last, only her women were with her. The members of the council withdrew from Richmond to Whitehall to draft the vital document which would publicly proclaim James King of England later that morning. The enterprising Robert Carey was already flying north on the first of his swift horses, He arrived in Edinburgh two days later, having suffered a great fall by the way, in the course of which his horse kicked him. 
so, weak with loss of blood, Robert Carey finally staggered into the royal palace at Holyrood and saluted James Stuart by his new fourfold title, King of England, Ireland, Scotland, and France. The medieval Plantagenet claim had never been formally discarded. As proof of the old Queen's death, Carey handed over a sapphire ring which James had sent south, with specific orders that it be returned to him the moment Elizabeth was actually dead. It is enough, said the king. I know by this that you are a true messenger. Far into the night, the sovereign of England sat up asking Carey questions about his new kingdom, having first considerately sent for a surgeon to tend Carey's wounds. The first proclamation of the new sovereign was made in London some seven or eight hours after the Queen's death. This proclamation...